Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hola, hello, humanos. Aquí estamos. La función va a empezar. Ya llegó la diversión. Don't interrupt me, por favor. Está aquí porque nadie nos va a interrumpir, por favor, y mucho menos esta pandemia del demonio. Desde Madrid, España, les saluda Guillermo Fesser y me gustaría hacerlo contándoles un pensamiento de andar por casa. A few hours before the Apollo 11 launch, a TV reporter noticed a man riding on a tractor moving the grassy meadow surrounding the space shuttle. He approached and asked him to explain exactly what his work consisted of. The journalist expected some technical detail about the height of the blade or the size of the recently cut surface, but instead the man adjusted his baseball cap and replied, I am helping to put a man on the moon, sir. I've been quarantined in Madrid, Spain with my wife, Sarah, since March 10th, when I started developing the symptoms of the coronavirus. Two days after that, we called Javi, a vendor, at one of the fruit stands in the La Paz market to inquire about the possibility of a delivery of some of his delicious fresh vegetables. Javi not only said yes, but in addition, he offered to personally bring us meat and fish from other vendors thinking we might be in need. When he arrived with our groceries, Javi was not just delivering an order. Javi was helping to fight the coronavirus. Neighbors who smile and wave from the patio windows to the young child that shouts, I am so bored. They are not only entertaining a child, they're helping to fight the coronavirus. The girl who loans out her dog to the neighbor who suffers from cabin fever so he can walk the dog outside, relinquishing her only opportunity to legally leave her home due to daily mandatory confinement, she also is helping to fight the coronavirus. The chef of the radio who teaches how to fiercely take on an eggplant, people that have never before entered a kitchen and now are in need to cook, and are challenged by the intelligible symbols of the oven controls, is not giving a recipe. She is helping to fight the coronavirus. We Spaniards and humanity as a whole are experiencing that wonderful feeling of solidarity that the Americans felt when together they put a man on the moon. Each and every gesture counts. Every smile, every word of kindness, every simple wink contributes to the fight. The world is already a different place. In 2008, we dedicated our efforts to save corporations. Today, we are dedicated to save lives. In mid-March, Javi, the vendor at one of the fruit stands of La Paz Market in Madrid, when he delivered our order, he and only was helping to put humanity back on track. Y esta es mi historia. Vamos a conocer la historia de los otros dos miembros de este programa. Don't interrupt me, por favor. Nos vamos directamente a Tucson, Arizona. Lisa Barton, ¿cómo estás? Bueno, de lo más bien. Bueno, no one can really say de lo más bien right now because we're all living in an alternate universe uh, of the pandemic. But here in the Sonoran Desert, 
the sky is sunny and if you look outside you can't tell really that anything different is happening um, other than like everywhere else there's you know not as much traffic and so forth but we're staying healthy what about you nick in in brooklyn so my favorite part of the day in brooklyn is at seven o'clock when my neighbors come out susan plays the clarinet cynthia and zawadi bang on pots and pans my girls bang on pots and pans or they bang on on me and you know we're we're being uh optimistic and trying to be grateful for everything. And I'm particularly grateful to uh, you, Lisa, for finding someone who has written a lot of things and is going to tell us uh, about our future. Yeah, I'm really happy to present our guest today, a science journalist I first met at the University of Arizona. Alan Weissman is one of the original thinkers. Before anyone who I knew was thinking about this in, in big terms, he was asking the question about what the world would be like without us. And his book that came out in 2007 kind of put everything in context. If suddenly through a pandemic, for example, or some other reason, there were no humans on earth, what, what would happen? How would nature respond? And he traveled all around the world to get an answer, answers to this question. And his book, The World Without Us, has been translated into more than 30 languages. And he followed that up with another book called Countdown. So I would like to go ahead and uh, introduce Alan now, who's joining us from Western Massachusetts. Welcome, Alan. Thanks very much for inviting me. We think you're the best person especially with the 50th anniversary of Earth Day this week, to, to put everything in context for us. Give us the 30,000 foot view of this pandemic and you know, our, our role on the, in the planet here as humans. Okay, um, antes que nada, quiero saludar a los oyentes españoles eh, España para mí es muy, muy, muy querido. Yo tuve la gran suerte de vivir eh, durante un año en Cádiz. Tuve una experiencia enorme y no olvidable. Eh, mi esposa, eh, quien es um, artista teatral, colaboraba con un teatro de títeres, la tierno rica. Cada vez que nos da la oportunidad, volvemos a España porque es parte de nuestro corazón. Arizona was uh, where I lived for much of my life. It's, it's a beautiful and wonderful place that, uh, that reminds us really of the power of nature because you feel like you are living inside of a gigantic sculpture the whole time that you were there. Ahora, por razones eh, relacionadas a la familia, estoy viviendo en Massachusetts, eh, en una zona uh, rural uh, rodeado por bosques y por granjas uh, ovejeras. Pues te ha hecho, te ha hecho Lisa, una pregunta amplia que tienes tiempo para responderla, pero déjame que te pregunte una cosa muy pequeñita que a lo mejor vale como prólogo para eso y que tiene que ver con la ciudad y el campo. Yo he entendido siempre, por lo que he ido leyendo a lo largo de mi vida, 
que los humanos hemos cogido la parte mejor del campo para hacer las ciudades y hemos dejado la parte peor para que sea campo. ¿Esto es cierto o no es cierto? Bueno, eh, hay que entender al fondo, y, y, y Lisa me había preguntado eh, sobre la vista amplia eh, para entender la pandemia en que nos encontramos ahora. Tenemos que volver a los principios de la sociedad humana. Eh, éramos, éramos cazadores y recolectores. We were hunters and gatherers. Y vivimos pues, por todo el paisaje. Pero paulatinamente eh, nos dábamos cuenta de que unas semillas que dejamos caer donde estábamos sentados podrían germinarse, brotarse, y eso nos ocurrió la idea de la agricultura. Ya una vez que hay agricultura, la gente no tiene que viajar tanto y suele asentarse cerca a los campos donde están sembrando o a los um, pastizales donde están pastoreando animales encercados para que no se escapen. Eh, así no teníamos, eh, no teníamos que cazar todo el tiempo porque podíamos capturar animales y comer, eh, comerlos cuando nos diera la gana. Los asentamientos paulatinamente se convirtieron en, en aldeas, pueblos y al final ciudades. Pero como tú dices, Guillermo, muchas veces al crecer estaban acabando con los mejores terrenos, los más fértiles. Y eso es un problema que ahora tenemos en este mundo. Uh, you just wrote a piece for the so can I interrupt you? No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you just wrote a, a piece for the Boston Globe magazine about um, the whole issue of whether nature is striking back. And, uh, and I think you, you pulled in some really interesting ideas from your book Countdown having to do with population. But that all gets back to the question I asked you before. Uh, Before Guillermo interrupted me, ¿verdad? Don't point, don't point at people, don't point at people. It's not very polite. <laughs> <laughs> Se dice el pecado, pero no el pecador. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> is this nature's, is the pandemic nature's uh, 911 call to... There is a difference between nature giving us a warning and nature um, taking... Uh, revenge on us for the way that we have uh, abused her. There's definitely a really important warning here. The warning is that this pandemic is expected and there will be more of them. Uh, you know, I've been called prophetic oftentimes for the world without us, having written the world without us, especially these days, because uh, when I had been covering environmental issues all over the world, from the Antarctic to the Arctic, to uh, the burning rainforests of the tropics, to disasters like Chernobyl and And I began to understand that all these things were connected and the connection was us. 
our impact on this planet was causing a worldwide global uh, environmental crisis. But to write about that, uh, which I thought that I really had the obligation to do because I'd had the privilege to see so much and I could connect all these dots. It's, it requires a lot of details and it required a book, but the majority of people don't want to read a book about something as depressing and scary as a worldwide global crisis. They might read an article, but, but this required a book. So finally I realized after a couple of years of thinking about it, that the way to get rid of the fear, the bottom line is that, oh my God, we're all gonna die unless things change, uh, is just kill everybody off right in the beginning and then they don't have to worry that about that anymore. And I, I imagine some ways that that could happen you know, some of them were like a little crazy, like space aliens or Jesus could rapture us away. But the the most prob or plausible was that a Homo sapiens specific virus just attacked us and killed us off and left everything else intact. Um, I talked to epidemiologists to see whether this was possible. Uh, everyone agreed that. Most epidemics, really bad ones, um, you know, burn themselves out eventually. Uh, enough people get it and survive that you know this herd immunity that we keep hearing about sets in. But they also acknowledge that some viruses we simply don't know enough about. And uh, one example that I kept hearing was that say that the AIDS virus. Uh, el virus del SIDA uh, se mutara uh, para convertirse en algo que infectaba a través del aire, no por líquidos, como ahora. Eh, eso sería muy problemático. Y existía la posibilidad, aunque fuera remota, que eh, todos nos contagiáramos y ya. The reason I wanted to get rid of us was to show how nature would then respond if it was relieved of all the pressures that we heap on it every day. Turns out that nature responds really, really, really beautifully. But before I go into that, I just want to explain that those epidemiologists kept telling me that it wasn't a question of when or or couldn't pandemic happen, but it would it's when a pandemic will happen. These have happened throughout human history. We're going to keep having them. And we really should have known because we've had SARS, we've had MERS, we've had Ebola. Fortunately, we've been able to contain them rather quickly with some very, very drastic means right in place. Uh, but for most of the world, because these things were far away, we've, you know, when it's out of sight, out of mind, we don't think about them very much. And we did not take proper precautions. Certainly in my country, uh, you know, the sad thing is actually we did take good precautions um, after SARS, um, 
President Obama had set up a task force for dealing with pandemics. And we did have, we had mechanisms in place to respond quickly. Estamos escuchando a Alan Weisman en una conversación apasionante. Esto es Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. Tenemos una llamada de un oyente de Brooklyn. Vamos a escucharla después de esta pausa. But I have a question for you, and it's this, a question that I'm stealing from a, a science writer named Ed Young, and he he wrote something where he basically said everybody wants to know how this is going to end, and he says that's not the right question. The right question is how do we continue? How do we how how if you were going to going to try to answer that question, how would you frame it? How would you answer it? You know, I did not write the world without us because I want a world without us. You know, I'm not one of these people who thinks that humanity is a cancer on this planet or, or like acne that, you know, we, you know, my intention is to do whatever I can. So my species gets to continue. I, you know, my I'm married to a Homo sapiens. I, a lot of my best friends are are Homo sapiens, and and I think that like every other species, we contribute something beautiful to this planet. I mean, just uh, you know, for nothing else, our art and our music. Uh, you know, birds are not the only species that sing and make this place beautiful. But this, your question kind of connects up to what we were talking about earlier you know, how civilizations um, rise. When I wrote The World Without Us, I was hoping that at the end of it, I was going to talk about, well, uh, you know, how could we continue to have a world with us? My idea was get rid of us, show how beautifully nature could bounce back and flourish and and eliminate our, the scars that we've left on this planet, and uh, which nature will eventually do. It's bounced back from five previous major extinctions, each time more gloriously than before. And uh, the, the extinction that we are perpetrating right now will, will be uh, no different. So I wanted readers to see that and say, wow, that's so beautiful but isn't there some way that we can add ourselves back into the picture only this time, not in mortal combat with nature, but in, but in harmony or in balance. Si alguien, decía, alguien decía en esa, en esa metáfora que estás poniendo tú, ¿no? que el oeste era una maravilla, pero quitaron al indio y quitaron al búfalo y se convirtieron en infierno, ¿no? Y entonces no hay que no hay que seguir peleándose. Vuelve a meter el búfalo, vuelve a meter el indígena en el oeste y el vaquero y la mula pueden seguir trabajando con el caballo. Bueno, hay, realmente hay cupo para todo si están en equilibrio. En la naturaleza siempre hay un equilibrio entre el predador y la presa. Y el problema es que cuando hacemos algo que interrumpe el equilibrio o crea un desequilibrio tarde o temprano, la situación no puede sostenerse y entramos en un colapso. Y eso es lo que estamos viendo ahora. En síntesis, nosotros 
éramos una especie tal como cualquier otra. Nos morríamos tan rápidamente que nacíamos. Y ese equilibrio continuaba durante toda la historia de los seres humanos hasta aproximadamente el año, los, los fines del siglo XVIII, cuando un científico, un médico británico, inventó una vacuna contra la viruela. Antes, la viruela, smallpox, nos mataba a millones. Pero esos millones sobrevivieron ya. Y durante el siglo XIX encontramos varios otros remedios, otras vacunas, la pasteurización de la leche, los antisépticos. La mortalidad infantil bajó dramáticamente porque antes no más la mitad de los niños sobrevivieron hasta tener sus propios niños. Y la tasa de eh, supervivencia de un ser humano, eh, el promedio era 40 años. We had a 40-year lifespan, average lifespan. But modern medicine allowed, not only lowered infant mortality, but it let people live much longer. So our population began to rise, and it passed a billion And it was about a billion and a half at the beginning of the 20th century when in the 20th century, two other things happened that just like modern medicine sounded like great ideas at the time. Uh, they were both ideas that expanded our food supply. The first one and probably the most significant invention in the history of humanity, much more than the wheel was the invention of a way to suck nitrogen out of the atmosphere and chemically apply it to the land. Before that happened, the only source of that essential nutrient for plant growth was a few uh, plants whose um, roots host uh, nitrogen-fixing bacteria, like legumes, like beans, lentejas, frijoles, cosas por el estilo, or manure, animal manure. Artificial nitrogen fertilizer completely blew nature's lid off because now we could grow much more plant life than nature ever could. And our population began to skyrocket, even though we had this, la gran pandemia del siglo pasado, uh, lo que llamamos en Estados Unidos la influenza española. Cuidado, cuidado, cuidado por alusiones. Cuidadito. <risa> Esperaba ese entonces. Cuidadito que vino de Hungría. Que vino de Hungría. Yo aquí como Trump con lo de China. <risa> ok. Pues bueno, sí. No, no queremos no, no maldecir a los españoles. <risa> de ninguna manera. Anyhow. You know, in spite of the Spanish flu that really came from Hungary, In spite of World War One and then World War Two, our population, when we commercialized nitrogen fertilizer, began to it passed three billion by the middle of the century, 
And just when it looked like even nitrogen fertilizer couldn't keep up with all these people and we were going to have huge famines in Asia, came the Green Revolution, which able, was able to genetically manipulate wheat and rice and corn, maize, maize, to produce many more kernels per stock. And harvest suddenly multiplied and the population just absolutely exploded. Uh, we quadrupled in a single century. That's impossible for large animals to do. Uh, but we were able to do it because we have been chemically force feeding our food supply. So that's one of the reasons why these epidemiologists not only told me that epidemics are inevitable, but they are going to be more severe because there are so many of us now and we are so interconnected between our travel and our trade that a virus just passes much, much faster. Entonces, pues pongamos el ejemplo de, de, de la epidemia presente que comenzó en un solo mercadito en Wuhan, en China. Bueno, algunas teorías que trata de un laboratorio en la misma ciudad, pero realmente no importa en cuál. Lo que sí nos importa es la rapidez del contagio, porque se nos contagiamos por todo el mundo dentro de dos meses. Rodeada el mundo, dio una vuelta mundial y sigue dando vueltas. Y eso es lo que sucede. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quería preguntarte si, si tú no crees, Alan, que esta pandemia ha dejado con el culo al aire a bastantes políticos y a bastantes pensadores en el tema de, de la crisis climática. No se, puede, no se podía hacer, tomar medidas drásticas para intentar paliar esta crisis. Es muy difícil, es muy complicado. Año 2020, año 2040, año 2060. Yo llevo 45 días, bueno, la ciudad de Madrid, España, todo el país de España lleva 45 días parados. La ciudad de Madrid, cuando yo llegué, hacías así y se te ponían los pulmones negros. Hoy haces así y se te ponen, se te queman del oxígeno. O sea, las palomas han crecido metro y medio, parecen buitres. Eh, el parque del retiro hay que entrar con un machete porque te come la madre selva. O sea, la madre selva se está comiendo a los árboles. Yo creo que hay elefantes en el estanque y monos. Vamos a ver, o sea, en 45 días la naturaleza ha dado un... Digo yo, a lo mejor no hay que parar el mundo completo efectivamente crea una gran tragedia y una crisis y, y, y es imposible, pero parar los jueves por la mañana dos horas, o sea, que se pueden hacer cosas. Mira, eh, no sabemos hasta para cuándo vamos a poder eh, entrar las calles otra vez, aunque con machete para 
cortar la selva que ha crecido durante nuestra ausencia. Pero yo no creo que crezca muy, muy grande. Hay, 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 hay unos lugares donde se están brotando pastos en las plazas de Italia, por ejemplo, porque no hay nadie haciendo mantenimiento. Pero yo creo que antes que nos devore la naturaleza, vamos a volver a ocupar nuestros lugares en las ciudades. Lo más importante, es un tema que tú has tocado brevemente en tu comentario, y tu último comentario, es la relación entre esta pandemia y otra crisis mundial, que realmente es una crisis al nivel existencial. Bueno, las dos son, pero esta crisis de la pandemia, que es muy inmediata, nos está ocupando todo, todo, toda nuestra preocupación, eh, hasta nuestro pánico. Pero atrás la crisis existencial del clima es mucho más grande y va a durar mucho más tiempo. Y tenemos que enfrentarlo durante, eh, enfrentarla durante esta, este siglo. The 21st century is our do and die century. Either we deal with, with climate change or our own existence really is in play. We don't know how we're going to be able to go on because throughout the entire human evolution, in fact, the entire evolution of primates before us, we've never lived with this much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now, fortunately, to deal with climate change, we don't have to be isolated in and sequestered and quarantined inside our houses or our apartments. This is something that we can and we will and we should do outside because we should be making more space for nature. We should be changing our energy systems over to renewable energy, and we now have the technology that we can do that, so we can start creating energy that doesn't involve burning things and sending more carbon dioxide up our chimneys or out our, our, our exhaust pipes. And we can be creating more jobs to do this, so our economies don't have to crash. But your question also raised another important point, is that, There's a political dimension to our response to this pandemic. Right now, we have some politicians saying, it's time to go back to work. People are going crazy. And we have others saying, we, it is very painful to stay inside. And it is causing tremendous, tremendous economic pain for individuals and for entire economies. But if we leave quarantine too soon, then we're going to suffer even longer because there, were gonna, there will be more outbreaks of this pandemic if more people who aren't already immune come in contact with people who have the virus. This virus is a stealthy virus. You don't know if you've got it for sometimes up to two weeks. And it's a novel virus, meaning it's never appeared before. No human being 
has natural immunity to it, except possibly, and we don't even know this for sure, people who've already gotten and have survived it. Guillermo, tal como tú, esperamos fervientemente que nunca te toquen de nuevo. Pero realmente la ciencia queda en incertidumbre en este momento, no sabemos. Claro, pero lo, 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 importan, lo importante, y me callo porque tenemos dos llamadas eh, esperando de dos oyentes muy interesados en hacer una pregunta a Alan Weisman. Para mí la gran pregunta de ahora es ¿qué habremos aprendido de todo esto? Ojalá que hayamos aprendido algo. Tusen, ah, las llamadas de Tusen, atención, Arizona, nom, nombre por favor, nombre por favor y la pregunta cuando pueda. Ah, uh, yes. Um, my name is Harriet. I just wanted to know, uh, in the new normal, that is after we're all out of our houses and not, maybe we're wearing masks still, I don't know. But in the new normal, how can we prepare and how can we uh, address like what you said, this, this century where it's make it or break it? I have three responses to that and I'm gonna take them in order from the most immediate, which is we make sure that we are ready next time for the next pandemic. There will be a next pandemic and it could even be more severe. In some ways we got off easy with uh, COVID-19 because it affects everybody. It, um, it kills maybe 5%. Some viruses like Ebola have much higher mortality rates and that could be the next one. So we need to be prepared. We need to have masks, ventilators, all of the types of things that we have learned about. We need to make sure that our healthcare professionals have proper protection and enough of it to last out a pandemic until that pandemic peaks and then finally begins to come down to a manageable size. So that's one thing. Another one I've already mentioned, we need to prepare for the, uh, the fact that we are contending with climate change and we need to very rapidly. Uh, Guillermo refería al Apollo, the, the moonshot previously. That's the kind of response that we need in the future to climate change. It's got to be worldwide that we all get together and we all create and share um, massive, uh, it, well, we, we, have the, we have the technologies right now. We start creating them on a mass scale and we start connecting them up. The last thing, and I'm grateful to say that we're already doing this, but we need to intensify how we're doing it, is, is we need to bring our population down to a sustainable size. Uh, what I learned after I, you know, when I, when I did the world without us, I found out that there's no way that our po we're ever gonna be in harmony or in a sustainable balance with the rest of nature if about every four days we're adding million people to the planet, which is what we are doing right now. Every 4.1 or 4.2 days, a million more people on the planet. There's no way to be sustainable. And some people can say, well, poor people don't 
uh, use as many resources, and that's where most of the population growth is. Well, poor people may not use as many resources, but every person on this earth, rich or poor, is addicted to two things that happen to be the most consumed products in the world. One is food, we all need it, and the other is energy, we all use it, even if we're only burning you know, cow patties or firewood. Everybody is using energy. And the way that we produce food for so many people, chemically, you know, mass producing our, our grain supply on this planet involves an, an enormous amount of fossil fuels because nitrogen, artificial nitrogen energy requires a lot of carbon dioxide, a lot of fossil fuel in its elaboration. And one, when it degrades, it forms nitrous oxide, which after carbon dioxide and methane is the most significant greenhouse gas. So how do we manage our population? I ended up doing a whole book about that called Countdown because I was particularly looking to see, you know, since everybody hates the Chinese one-job policy, including the Chinese, uh, was there something socially acceptable to all the world's tribes and religions, na nationalities? Algo aceptable socialmente a la mayor parte de los grupos en este mundo. Y descubrí que sí existe algo y es la educación femenil. Porque lo que sucede en país pobre, o sea, país, sea pobre o rico, no importa la, la religión católica, budista, musulmán, si se educa una niña hasta la secundaria, no más, por, por medio en este mundo, esa niña va a tener dos hijos nomás, y tal vez menos. Y con dos, porque se necesitan dos personas para, hacer, para crear un niño, se llama eh, dos, es lo que dice la tasa de reemplazo. Población no crece con dos. Si tienen menos de un hijo, la población se encoge. The best contraceptive on this planet is an educated child, uh, an educated female. And if some people think, well, this is putting too much of the pressure on women to solve environmental issues. Well, you know, it also is doing it in a way that empowers women more than any single thing on earth. A woman who's educated only has about two children or fewer because with an education, she has something useful and interesting and economically helpful to her own family to do with her life. But you can't do that with seven kids hanging on, on your skirts. So I say that the essential goal for this century to the thing that will help the issue of climate more than now, but almost anything I know is educate girls because the fewer people we have demanding fuel and food, considering that the way we use our food uses a lot of fuel, that's 
the better and the faster. Y me contaste que cuando viajas para dar uh, charlas sobre tu libro, que la, las mujeres reciben esto muy, con, muy positivamente, ¿verdad? Ay, sí, ¿verdad? Eh, yo he tenido giras para este libro, pues, en América Latina, en China, en Asia, otras partes de Asia, como Correr del Sur, en Europa, en, inclusive en España. Todo el mundo está a favor. Mira, pongamos un ejemplo de Italia, otro país donde he ido. Y últimamente estoy haciendo cantidades de entrevistas con Italia, porque Italia ha sido muy azotado por esta pandemia. Italia es un país, digamos, católico. Es la sede de la ciudad vaticana, que es un país eh, totalmente católico. Y además, y la población de la ciudad vaticana es poblada por... Eh, como mil personas, eh, no, creo que 999 o 98 son hombres grises y son ellos que prohíben el, eh, el uso del anticonceptivo eh, para las mujeres. Afortunadamente, el país católico que rodea la ciudad vaticana es es un país donde la mayor parte de las mujeres con títulos graduados por porcentaje existe en el mundo. Eh, eso es Italia. Italia también tiene una de las tasas más bajas de, eh, de fertilidad. Quiere decir que las mujeres italianas saben lo que quieren hacer con sus propios cuerpos, con su propia familia, con su propia educación. Y tarde o temprano, yo creo que <ríe> una italiana va a tome, tomar las riendas. Eh, cuando yo estaba en, en Italia haciendo entrevistas para ese libro, eh, me entrevisté con políticas italianas. Ellas me dan mucha esperanza, tanto como las políticas italianas, eh, las, las políticas um, en este país, Estados Unidos, son las más inteligentes que tenemos en ese momento. Veremos eh, la, todos que eran candidatos para la nominación demó demócrata. Bueno, vamos a tener otro hombre gris en ese puesto, uh, aparentemente. Pero eran las mujeres, tanto como la senadora de mi propio estado, Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren, que realmente nos da esperanza para el futuro. Bueno, y te voy a interrumpir para, para hacer la observación que en los países que han vencido el virus mejor, pienso, son los líderes, son mujeres, vamos a decir, en New Zealand, Nueva Zelanda, Alemania. Sí, sí, sí. Estoy completamente de acuerdo y simplemente como una antesala de de tu propia respuesta, pero como una reflexión, ¿no? Y es que me da la impresión de que ese mundo de hombres grises que ya no funciona y que es tan obvio que no funciona, eh, ha hecho reaccionar a las mujeres, ¿no? Y les ha dicho, mira, quitaros de aquí, por favor, porque es que ya se ve que sois inútiles. O sea, y, y ahí tenemos, efectivamente, esa fuerza de, 
de las eh, candidatas demócratas que llegaron, gracias a Dios, al Congreso de Estados Unidos. Ahí tenemos a esas presidentas como en países como Noruega y ahí tenemos a esa primera ministra de Nueva Zelanda y ahí tenemos a la señora Merkel en Alemania y tenemos iniciativas de mujeres en las que, sobre todo, sobre todo, lo que destaca es el sentido común. Es lo que destaca, es que es gente que te dice cosas que entiendes y entiendes que se tengan que hacer. Cosas que los otros señores grises no sabemos de qué están hablando. Y especialmente los señores grises que tienen el pelo teñido de naranja. Eso ya es para darle de comer aparte. He notado que este virus ataca a los pulmones y que los humanos han atacado a los bosques de las Amazonas que dicen que son los pulmones de la Tierra. Y este virus nos da fiebre, la calentura. Y nosotros los, los humanos hemos causado mucho de la calentura de, de la Tierra. O sea que me, me quedo asombrada cuando pienso de la fuerza de, de la naturaleza y que no, nosotros somos solamente una parte y que no lo controlamos. Y sobre todo hay que pedirle por Dios al próximo virus, no, hay que pedirle a la humanidad que nadie le meta un palo por el trasero a la Tierra, porque ya sabemos lo que va a hacer el próximo virus con nosotros. ¿Quién sabe? <risa> eh, yo estoy de acuerdo que eh, esta pandemia nos está dando un metáforo, pero otro semejanza entre las dos eh, crisis existenciales es que ambas son invisibles. La gente no se da cuenta cuando un virus está a su lado o está entrando eh, sus narices. Sin embargo, ahí está y le va a afectar. Lo mismo con el problema del clima. Dióxido de carbono invisible. Metano igualmente. Lo que sucede encima de nosotros no percibimos porque el cielo sigue siendo azul. Sin embargo, es un cielo muy, muy distinto porque estamos agregando cantidades de una gas que la atmósfera de este planeta ha sostenido en tiempos anteriores. Durante la época de los dinosaurios había tres veces la cantidad de dióxido de carbono en la atmósfera, probablemente eh, por razones relacionadas con vulcanismo, que estaba muy, muy activo en aquel entonces. Pero hagamos cuenta que en aquel entonces, durante los dinosaurios, los únicos mamíferos eran animales muy, muy pequeños. Y únicamente cuando cambió la atmósfera y cuando acabó, se acabaron los dinosaurios, muchos cambios, el mismo asteroide que se impactó con la Tierra creó una nube enorme de polvo que hizo enfriar, eh, uh, hacerle al mundo mucho más frío y bajar la cantidad de dióxido de carbono. Pues, es, y, y, y estoy simplificando mucho aquí. Pero nosotros en, nos evolucionamos bajo de un régimen atmosférico muy, muy distinto a lo que estamos creando ahora. 
y tenemos que percibir lo invisible ahora. Eso es lo que el virus nos está enseñando. Ese es el aviso que la naturaleza nos está dando. No solamente aviso, sino amenaza. Si no nos portamos y en, de una manera mucho más sabia. Well, thank you very much for showing us the invisible, Alan. Here on, here on, don't interrupt me, por favor. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Guillermo. Adiós, Nick Leiber. Adiós, Alan Weisman. Un placer Adiós. conversar contigo. Adiós, Guillermo. Ojalá nos veamos pronto y ojalá nos demos un abrazo, porque yo creo que de esta pandemia lo que de verdad, de verdad se echa de menos es poder dar a la gente abrazo. De acuerdo. Stay healthy, everyone. Okay. Un abrazo de lejos a todos. Adiós, humanos. Adiós. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.